0: This is the, I stayed up way too late service. Glad you're here. You made it. You made it through 2022. You made it to 2023. Another successful year. You should congratulate yourself. There's a little touch and go there for a bit, right? But you made it through, so congratulations. Uh, Uniontown made it another year. Phew. few. Um, in fact... In just a few weeks, Uniontown Bible Church uh, is going to celebrate its 208th birthday, and you don't look a day over 150, most of you, (laughs) Um, 1815, 1815 is when, now it wasn't Uniontown Bible Church at the time, it was St. Lucas uh, Church, it was a Presbyterian church, Presbyterian very different in 1815 than in 2023, Um, but yeah. 1815, let me give you a little bit of what was going on in 1815. Uh, the state of Maryland was one of 18 states in the country. There were only 400,000 people that lived in the state of Maryland. And at the time that Unitown Bible Church began in 1815, James Madison was the president. Here, here this, one, this, one, this one's crazy. Uh, Mark Twain wasn't even born yet. He didn't have to worry about giving people Christmas gifts of telephones, because phones hadn't been invented yet. The light bulb hadn't been invented yet. So so nothing to worry about there. Um, This is my favorite fact about this. On February 17th, 1815, the treaty that ended the War of 1812 went into effect. One week later, Uniontown was started. Four months later, Napoleon lost at Waterloo. Um, <laughs> things have changed just a bit, don't you think? Uh, we live in a very different age, I think. Uh, let, me, let me show you something, though. Um, things have changed. If this isn't a picture of things have changed. Things have changed. But actually, things haven't changed very much. Um, what I want to show you right now is the fact that um, the, 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 the family resemblance of some of these people is very real. A little help there for you. Have you noticed, back in the day, we had uh, some very familiar-looking faces. There's a couple of those guys there. Yeah, then, uh, of course, the obligatory. Here we go. Um, Some things haven't changed very much. i got to point this out again, just because this is my... (laughs) I think it's this one. I can't really tell. Yes, Jeremy Sorensen looks like he fits, <laughs> doesn't he? I mean, look at that. And then, and then on top of that, and then so does Dana. I mean, Dana over here. So yeah, some things have changed a lot. Some things not so much. <laughs> you think about the culture of the day. Church, going to church, being in church—that was a norm for virtually everybody. Uh, church really was kind of the, the central meeting place for the communities of the time. Uh, in fact, in 1815, when we uh, began, um, people were beginning to uh, attend church to make the most of this incredibly modern innovation that wasn't yet 30 years old, called Sunday school. Isn't that crazy? It didn't exist the late, like 1780, 1785. Uh, in 1815, the revivals were starting to break out. Churches were experiencing huge growth that was leading up to the Second Great Awakening. If you study the Second Great Awakening, what you'll find is, is men such as uh, Charles Finney, Adoniram Judson, Francis Asbury, Lehman Beecher were all prominent characters in this great revival, the second great awakening that was happening in the United States of America, and it created this hunger for God and this pursuit of God that the country hadn't really seen up to this point, even in the first great awakening. This one was further developed, and, and in 1830, a few years later, this guy named Alexis de Tocqueville, flew, 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 flew from France, I tried. First service, I really got it bad. That one I always got. But when he came back from the United States, he made this observation about what he saw in the United States. It says this. There is no country in the world in which the Christian religion retains a greater influence over the souls of men. There is no country in the world in which the Christian religion retains a greater influence over the souls of men. Things might be a little different today. What do you think? Our culture, our country, is anything but God-centered. And unfortunately, many popular churches aren't God-centered either. They're more focused on numbers than they are about knowing Him. God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, Bible, church, those, those have become buzzwords or pawns in this very culturally- significant yet insignificant power struggle among people, not to mention, not the least of which is politicians. You look at our culture today, and it certainly seems like the darkness is what ends up getting um, celebrated. Dignity, human dignity, has become optional. The way we treat the unborn, the way we treat those who might have a different ethnic heritage than we have, human dignity is almost non-existent today. And and here's, here's the hard news for you. In a cultural upheaval that we've experienced, and I'm not even talking the 208 years since Uniontown began, even in the last 20 years, this cultural upheaval, Christians start losing their minds over the shift that they're seeing in the culture, and what they end up losing in that process is, listen to these things, see if they sound familiar, they lose their love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are things we can't lose. So let me ask you a question. In 2023, how do you hold on to your wits? How do you maintain joy and peace and contentment when you look at the, the world, the culture around us, and it is just disintegrating? This week, um, I, I employed one of the most practical Bible study methods known to humanity, and it was literally sitting at my kitchen table with my Bible, going like this. Oh, that one's got a lot of notes on it. And where I landed was Psalm 73 of all places. So take your Bibles and go to Psalm 73. I spent hours in Psalm 73 this week just reading it. Trying to take it apart, trying to see what I can find there. And and I want to share some things with you that I noticed out of Psalm 73. And if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to go there. If you don't have a Bible, get out your phone or your iPad and go to YouVersion and go to Psalm 73 because what I need to make sure you understand is every time I stand up here, the most important thing that comes out of my mouth is not my opinion, it is not my words, it is what the Word says. This is the Word of God and I want you to leave here knowing that. Psalm 73 Psalm 73, we learned something really important about Psalm 73 even before we get to verse 1. In your Bible, if you look underneath Psalm 73, I've got a little title there that says, God's, I can't read it because I need my glasses, God's ways are vindicated. And underneath it, in in italics, it says, A Psalm of Who? Okay, three of you are awake. Awesome. Happy New Year! (laughs) A Psalm of Who? There we go, Asaph. Who in the world is Asaph? Asaph is a contemporary of David. He is the chief musician of Israel. That means he is the one responsible to lead the music during all of the national holidays that would happen in Israel. He was the one responsible to lead the music in in, in regular worship in the temple. He is known as a seer or a prophet. He wrote a dozen psalms. That doesn't seem like a lot, does it? Like, a dozen psalms. How many psalms did you write? Cool. It's a lot, all right? Dude wrote scripture. And he was a leader of worship for the Israelites. And he begins his psalm with something that I think we've heard before. Psalm 73, verse 1. It says this, God is indeed good to Israel, to the pure in heart. I'm going to stop right there. You've heard that before, right? Indeed, God is good to those who are pure in heart. And the harp starts playing, and everybody's like, oh, right? Because that's the church message, man. The, church, the way church service is supposed to work. You come in, you get your coffee, you sit, you say hello to a couple people so you don't appear rude, you stare at the back of somebody's head, you sing a couple songs, two you might know, two you may not know. The dude gets up and starts to preach and says, God's awesome! And everybody says, Amen! Whoa, and we all go home. You wish I preached that short. See, who's standing here, who's writing this is Asaph. This guy knows the truth, he sings the truth, He writes about the truth, he leads the truth, he stands before God's people and points to the truth. And he says, surely God is indeed good to Israel, to the pure in heart, but, oh man, what's he he doing? But, God is good to those who are pure in heart, but, so what he is doing is is he is unpacking what we've known as a lament, right? Right? He's saying there is tension in that statement. The promise of God is he is indeed good to those who are pure in heart. But the world that I live in makes clinging to verse 1 very difficult. Where I exist, there is tension. Tension between the pain and difficulty of today and the promise that God has left for me. But, but what? Continue verse 2. As for me, my feet almost slipped. My steps nearly went astray. He says, I, I was almost done. My feet almost slipped. My, 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 my steps nearly went astray. That is literally slid out from underneath me. I was so close to standing on that slippery surface, standing on that ice, and all of a sudden, whoo, and they're gone. And I'm going down in a heap. I almost quit, Asaph says. So have you ever been there? Have you ever gotten the place? Where you're like, <laughs> I'm bright. I'm bright in public. I'm laughing at everything. I'm doing everything I can to push the ball down the field. I'm, and then when it's all said and done, everybody's like, Yeah, that was wonderful. And then you go to your place, whatever your place might be. It could be your living room, your dining room, your bedroom. Could be your vehicle. Could be this little nook or cranny in your house where you can hide from everybody and close your door. And everybody's like, Oh, isn't that wonderful? They're spending time with Jesus, and actually, you're inside saying, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I can't, I can't put up with this anymore. And then the rest of the time you're like, okay, I'm to talk myself into doing this more because I know what's right and I know what I'm supposed to do. Have you ever done that in your life? Maybe that's with your family, maybe that's with your work, maybe that's with your church, I don't know. But have you ever gotten to that place where you're just like, oh, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Asaph is there. and He's the guy that stands on the stage every week. This is, this is a free, but it's, it's motivated out of the fact that I've been watching a documentary that has been uh, stress-inducing, to say the least, about a very large church in, a, in the world that has fallen on some very difficult times. And, and let me just say this, OK? So Asaph is the one who's struggling, who is standing on stage. Please, 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 I beg of you, Do not elevate the people who are up front above what they are able to carry. Please understand this. You see us. I'll just use myself as an example. You see me up here every week, and I'm up here, and I'm like, ha, ha, joke, joke, ha, ha, ha. Ooh, serious point. Ooh, serious. Yell, yell. Ah, pound on table, right? And you're like, dude, he is so preachy and and worshipy, and and maybe he's holy and wonderful, and he's got it all together, and he's super confident. Stop! Stop! Even if you were to come at 9 and not leave till 12, which none of you do, for the 11 o'clock, we know, you show up at 11.15 and leave at 11.55. We love you, but we know the truth, okay? But even if you were to be here for three hours on a Sunday morning, you are only seeing, not even, 2% of my entire week. You don't know what I struggle with during the week. The danger is we see people up front doing their best to lead, and we elevate Hey, listen, our sin is real. Our struggles are real. And what we need is for our church to be family, not fans. We need you to be our family. That's more important than I could possibly express to you. Take that seriously, even though it has nothing to do with the message at all. <laughs> um, sort of. <laughs> so Asaph is the one who's struggling. Frustration, discouragement, all of these things are kind of cycling in on him. Uh, that tension between pain and the promise of God, we get to that place with the promise of God. We're like, I just want to see some of those promises here now. I want to see some of those promises fulfilled. I want some of that hope that I have to be tangible, to put my hands on it, to feel it smell it taste it experience it here and now in 2023 we're 11 and a half hours into the new year and many of you sitting in this room are like i just want to hold it for a little while these things are so hard but what you have to remember is this a little quick biblical theology for you we are told in the new testament by jesus christ himself you need to deny yourself cool deny myself then it gets easy right no Jesus says, deny yourself, and then take up your cross. So, so sacrifice. Okay, and the disciples say, hold on a second. Deny yourself, take up your cross. Who can possibly do this? And Jesus is like, yeah, I know. And if you really want to understand this, you've got to lose your life so you can gain it. That means ultimate surrender of everything you hold dear. So deny yourself, take up your cross, lose your life. And then you continue in the New Testament, and you find both Peter and Paul writing and saying, you know where your citizenship is, right? It's not here. Stop mistaking the blessings of living in a wonderful country as as being the most important thing in your entire life. (laughs) Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Lose your life. Understand where your citizenship is. Because what's happening in Asaph's life that we're about to see he is so focused on the culture around him that he begins to live this life of it's all about me and it's all about now. And that's a huge problem particularly when your culture implodes. When your culture turns its back on God. When your culture denies that there is even a God. When your culture says that the most important and smartest person in the entire country is, well how about that? It happens to be you. And what happens too often is when culture begins to lose its mind, American Christians lose sight of heaven. Let me say that one more time. When culture begins to lose its mind, American Christians begin to lose sight of heaven. Because what happens is we get so focused on me and now. And look, not fair. Look what culture's doing. We deserve this. We get caught up in the fact that we think our citizenship is here. We get caught up in the fact that we think our promise is to be fulfilled here. Why, why did Asaph's feet almost slip? Why was he almost done? Because he was so caught up looking at the culture of the day, he couldn't unentangle himself from it. Right? Look, 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 read with me. Look at verse 3. He says, this is why. Because I envied the arrogant I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Oh, they they have an easy time until they die. Their bodies are well fed. They're not in trouble like others. They're not afflicted like most people. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge from fatness. That's actually a good thing. The imaginations of their heart run wild. They mock. They speak maliciously. They arrogantly threaten oppression. They set their mouths against heaven. Their tongues strut across the earth. Therefore, his people turn to them and drink in their overflowing words. And the wicked say, Come on, how can God know? Does the Most High know everything? Verse 12 Behold them, the wicked. They're always at ease, and they increase their wealth. (laughs) Asaph walks through this whole picture of the culture that surrounds them and says, I'm envious of them, I see their prosperity, and I think, where is mine? Look look at all of the behaviors that they're taking part in that are completely antithetical to everything that God has taught us, and yet, forget their behavior, far worse than their behavior, is at the end of the day, everything they touch turns to gold. Asaph gets ticked. (laughs) I I look at the entertainers. I look at the politicians. I look at the world and the culture at large. I I look at all these people who proclaim a hatred for God. I look at all these people who dismiss God. There is no truth anywhere. They're removing truth from everywhere, everyone, everything. There is no justice. The weak are being trounced on. The powerful are simply disgusting. This world is just falling off the cliff. He gets pretty riled up, doesn't he? And you will, too, if you focus on everybody else. See, focusing on everybody else can leave you discouraged. You hear that in those verses we read. In fact, maybe, maybe I need to answer, so, so did, did Asaph really focus on everybody else? Okay, well, what I want you to do with me real quick is I'm going to do a quick grammar thing for you. And, you know, me grammar not so wonderful. So... I'm keeping it simple. We're going to go with some predominant pronouns. What are the predominant pronouns in verses three through twelve? Let uh, let me let me just read the pronouns to you. Ready? You follow along if you like. They, they, there, they, they, there, 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 they, 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 there, them, there, them, they, they, there. Where is Asaph looking? Everybody else. How do we lose our footing? We become, a, we become a people who are so focused on them that we become incredibly discouraged. And then we get to the place where we're like, I'm just done. Asaph, Asaph says, I'm done. Look at verse 13. I'm done. Did, did I? Did I purify my heart? and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? I'm afflicted all day long, and I'm punished every morning. If I had decided to say these things aloud, I would have betrayed your people. And when I tried to understand all of this, it seemed hopeless. It doesn't make a difference what I do. Whatever I do, it's completely in vain. It's useless. It's a waste of time if this is how it goes, and that's how his feet are slipping. That's how he's losing his his footing. Uh, The the, the idea of I'm afflicted all day long and punished every morning is the picture of the guy who's walking through his day and he is just being beaten and pummeled throughout the day. He's like, I just got to make it to bed. If I could just make it to bed, and he gets to bed, and he lays down, and he finally gets the the tape that's playing in his head to stop playing. He stops hearing all the conversations that have gone poorly. He stops thinking about all the things that are wrong with the world. He finally drifts off to sleep, and he wakes up in the morning, and he goes to get out of bed, and he's like, oh, my back. Every morning, all I do is wake up to another pain. Is this worth it? He says, it felt hopeless. Do you know why it felt hopeless? Because he wasn't just focusing on everybody else. Now, he was focusing on himself. And when you focus on yourself, it can leave you incredibly disappointed. Look at them. Look at everything they have. Look at me. Look what I have. New pains every morning. I hurt myself sleeping again. This is crazy. This is, this, is, this is ridiculous. Oh, I do all of these good things. I wash my hands. I stay innocent. I stay pure. I stay away from the things that God has called sin for what? For what? Where, where, where's my chocolate cake coming down from the sky to reward me? Right? I'm doing all these things, and I'm getting nothing in return. So why should I give? Why should I go? Why should I speak up? Why should I care for other people when nobody's taking care of me? Focus on yourself. It's going to leave you disappointed. Did he focus on himself? Let's do the pronoun thing again. Verse 13. Ready? I, my, my, I, 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 me. So let me ask you a question. How did you do last year? Where was your focus? And and, and how are you going to protect yourself from becoming discouraged and disappointed in 2023? What's your scorecard? How do you score? I mean, it can't be by looking at the culture and seeing cultural advancements, because that's never going to happen. It can't be looking at your own self and think that you're getting everything you deserve because, quite honestly, our hearts are so quick to produce more idols that when we get the last idol, we're like, oh, this is great. Where's the next one? Kind of like moms and dads you might have experienced Christmas morning. This is great. I'll play with it for five minutes. I want more toys! Our hearts do that. Listen, a lot has changed since Unitown began in 1815. But something that hasn't changed is our God. Something that hasn't changed is our God's promise, our God's faithfulness, and our God's mercy. So in the middle of discouragement, in the middle of disappointment, as you're teetering on the edge of losing your footing, you can see it start to go. Do what Asaph did. Stop looking at everybody else. Stop looking at yourself. And instead, look at him. Verse 17 I'll start in 16. When I tried to understand all of this, it seemed hopeless. Until, until I entered God's sanctuary. And then I understood their destiny. It's not about focusing on everybody else. It's not about focusing on yourself. It is about focusing on God. And when you focus on God, it will bring eternal perspective. And man, we need an eternal perspective on this culture. We need an eternal perspective on ourselves or else we are going to lose our footing. L- listen, let's, let's, let's again, verse 16, and I'll read the rest of the chapter. It says, when I tried to understand all of this, it seemed hopeless until I entered God's sanctuary. Then I understood their destiny. Now indeed, you put them in slippery places. You make them fall into ruin suddenly they become a desolation they come to an end swept away by terrors like one waking from a dream lord when arising you will despise their image when i became embittered and my innermost being was wounded i was stupid and didn't understand i was an unthinking animal toward you yet i'm always with you you hold my right hand you guide me with your counsel And afterward, you will take me up to glory. Who do I have in heaven but you? I desire nothing on earth but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. Those far from you will certainly perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, God's presence is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge so I can tell about all you do. When your focus switches to God, it gives you an eternal perspective. Okay, just to close the loop, did his focus really slip to God? Let's go back to the pronoun game. Verse 18, you, you, Lord, you. You, 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 your, you, 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 God, you, you, God, Lord God, you. It's not a subtle shift, folks. They, 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 there, them, 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 there, they, 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 they. I, I, me, I, me, 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 I, I, change to you. What happens when you change that perspective to you? When you focus on God it will show you, God will show you who you really are. Look at verse 21. When I became embittered and my innermost being was wounded, I was stupid and it didn't understand. I was an unthinking animal towards you. I love the honesty of Asaph in that moment, right? He's like, I was such a fool. I'm a moron. And, and, and God is loving and gracious and merciful. And so he's in heaven listening to our prayers. We're like, God, I'm so dumb. He's like, yeah, you are. You are. I love you, but you are. Who do you think you are, son? That You can look around at what's happening in the culture and go, oh, I get it. Boom, 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 bam. There's the full picture. I get it. You can't do that. You're not God. You're never going to figure him out. He, he has the whole picture when we can barely get a sliver of it. When you focus on God, it reminds you of who you really are. When you focus on God, it reminds you of who he really is. Look at verse 23. I love these verses. God, I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you are the one that's going to take me up to glory. Who do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth but you. My flesh, my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. Why am I looking anyplace else? I've got him. Everything I could possibly need. This is not insignificant. This this beautiful phrasing at the end of verse 23. You hold my right hand. You hold my right hand, folks. It's really important to see who the active agent is in that phrase. It's not you hanging on for dear life to God, like I can't let go. You're swinging like all the movies show you. Ah, uh, He's got you. He's holding your right hand. Picture, okay? Many of you have had small children, okay? You have one child, one child, okay? Now it gets a little tricky when that third kid comes. That third kid, you're like, I'm not abusing him. I'm just trying to keep him in the lane. So you're walking along, and you're doing all these things, and it's wonderful. Now, if the three-year-old is the one holding your hand, and you walk out to your car, and you're like, boom, kid's gone. You you no chance. I mean, we, we, we may have to call some professional help to fix what's about to happen. But if you're holding their hand, they ain't going nowhere. God, look what I have with you. You have grasped my hand, and you are not going to let me go. Not only will it show you who you really are and who he really is, but it will also show you where this is really going. Verse 27, for behold, those far from you will certainly perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. I suppose that you could read that verse and find encouragement in it because it's a picture that in the end, God wins. There's no enemy that can stand against him. Sin will be destroyed, and God will get the glory. However, I don't think that's what this verse is focusing on. I think what the psalmist is saying is, I had to remember, those people are doing all those things, but those people who are far from you, they're certainly going to perish one day. What it serves as a reminder to you, to me, to all of us who are children of God, who have been called through the blood and work of Jesus Christ to be his children, that, that your job, your calling, isn't to win an argument. Your job, your calling, isn't to stand in judgment over the culture outside these doors. Your job, your calling, is to tell them who saved you. To tell them there's hope because they need it. It's going to remind us of what we really have verse 28 but as for me God's presence is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge so I can tell about all you do. What will you really have? You'll have a closeness, a nearness to God. This relationship will be unlike anything else. You you will have a proximity to God. He's going to be your refuge, your security, your hiding place. It's not going to find your security, your confidence in any culture, any people, any politics, an economy, any situation going better. You are going to find your confidence, your security, your refuge in him and only in him. And when you fix your focus on him and only him, your calling becomes crystal clear. There's a purpose word at the end of verse 28. As for me, God's presence is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge. So, it's a purpose word. So that I can tell about all that you do. Your calling is crystal clear. You have a joy worth sharing. Do you? Do you you understand how blessed you are? And this is going to make me sound like that. The old carmudgeon, like get off my lawn, but not hashtag #blessed. I don't mean that, okay? <laughs> but I do mean that because you don't even know what that means. You understand what having a blessed life is? It's, it's not having everything in your life go well. It's not that things are improving. It's not that relationships are, are getting better. It's not that things are lining up just right. It's not that your rights are being honored by every person who you think should honor your personal rights. It's that's not blessed. Being blessed means that in spite of who you are and what you have done, you can have a relationship with him because of the grace of God. And so when he says, so that I can tell about all that you do, that's what you are called to do throughout 2023. If you measure how blessed you are by by how things are going, but if you measure how blessed you are by how close he is to you, Listen, I'm not saying for a second that 2023 is going to be super easy. Again, we're not even 12 hours into the new year, and some of you are like, I want 2022 back. So I'm not saying it's going to be easy. What I am saying is that we have an assurance that if we live 2023, and, and let me get rid of that, not even 2023, not even January, not even the first week of January, not even January 1st, if we live every moment with that eternal perspective, And we live with a hope knowing that one day, one day he's coming back, all of our waiting will be complete. And the nearness to God that we enjoy today will seem like nothing when we get to look across that great banquet table, eyeball to eyeball, with our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, thanks for the reminders of your word. Thank you for men and women being the examples in your word who show us regularly and repeatedly a, a mirror image of ourselves as we consider the things that um, we, we, we continue to run to, to cling to. We, we, we thank you that you are gracious and merciful. Lord, I pray you'd help us to get our eyes off of everything around us, everybody around us, to get our eyes up from looking at our own selves, and instead, Father, I pray that we would regularly and consistently and consciously come into your presence and look to you for that eternal perspective. May we remember that that the promises that you have given to us, every single one of them is yes and amen in and through Jesus Christ. And Lord, that that great promise that someday we are going to meet you, we're going to spend all of eternity with you, we're going to celebrate you and worship you and laugh Oh, Lord, thank you for that promise. We look forward to that day. And we can look forward to that day. Because Jesus has purchased our pardon. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us?